0: Today on the show, we're talking about how your house is not an investment. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence to deliberate lifestyle choices. My name is Courtney. I'm your host. And today I'm joined with my co-host, Trevor. And today we're talking about how your house is not actually an investment.
1: Yeah. And I, I before I get emails from all the homeowners who are going to hate me for this topic i'm not saying a house is a bad idea i'm just saying it is not an investment and the the inspiration for this episode was a very interesting article i read so to start with the the article the article i read was by jl collins and we've talked about a book his called the simple path to wealth so that is a fabulous book on it really takes investing and and simplifies it and gives you a a really good strategy but the, this article he wrote, it was titled, Why Your House Isn't a Terrible Investment. And he, he basically, he puts, if you think your house is a good investment, then it would be all of these things. So it's, it, it's actually quite comical to read. So at the end of this episode, we're going to go through that uh, article and, and read some of the more humorous points in it. But I, I don't think your house is really an investment. It doesn't meet... My criteria of investments, and I'm not saying real estate is not a good investment. If you wanted to get into owning rental properties, and those, I think, are great investments. They are an investment you can actually leverage, meaning you can borrow money to get into that investment. It has a cash flow element to it. So rental properties are are true investments, but the house you own and live in with your family, that is not an investment.
0: So this episode, I mean, it is... It goes against everything we have grown up thinking about, knowing about. You always, how often have you heard that before you even were a homeowner yourself? Oh, I'm buying a house. It's a wonderful investment tool. Like that, that is the thing that's super common.
1: So a house is a great wealth building tool without question. I, 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 wouldn't be where I am today without owning a house. Wealth building tool, it is probably the number one wealth building tool that'll ever show up in your life. But if you call it an investment and you treat it sometimes like an investment and treat it sometimes like the wealth building tool it really is, I think you end up doing things and in doing things to your house. Like this and I'm doing air quotes. People will do things to their house and they'll say it's an investment, and really it is nothing more than a lifestyle expense. And I've said that before in this podcast. Your forty thousand dollar kitchen, let's just say. In in the make believe world, you you spend forty thousand dollars your kitchen, and you could sell your house for forty thousand dollars more. Let's just say, in some fantasy world, that's actually possible. And it really and let's just say, you you get the forty thousand dollars kitchen in on Thursday, you sell your house on a Friday, like it is brand new. And let's just pretend you actually get forty thousand dollars more for that house. From an investing standpoint. What have you gained? Where's the gain there? You parted with $40,000. You sold your house. You got an extra $40,000 back in a dream world. Did you gain anything financially? Is, the, is there an economic gain there at all? If anything, what you've done, and Courtney, you'll get a chance <laughs> to speak in a minute, <laughs> what you've done is you've just introduced an element of risk. The risk is you handed the of the $40,000 for your kitchen and some time elapsed, you sell your house, and the purchaser hands you an extra $40,000, hopefully, for that house. So in in the window between when you got your kitchen done and when you sold your house, there was an element of risk where you, maybe you, you don't get your $40,000 back. Maybe, who who knows, maybe all of a sudden people don't like new kitchens. Who knows what could happen, right? The market could change on you in the time from you put your kitchen into the time you sold your house. Kitchen's one example. And I'm saying all you've done is is you've, it truly is a lifestyle expense because if, if you put in the new kitchen and then you live in the house for 10 years, well, if you sell the house in 10 years, that's not a new kitchen anymore. You didn't gain, there's no economic gain there. That is pure lifestyle expense. So the reason I, this episode is if you, people do things to their house, they call it an investment and it really isn't. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs>
0: And, and, and let's not forget a basic, simple math, $40,000 spent and then $40,000 gained when you sell. That's a zero sum game at, at the end of the day, really. And we did do an episode on home improvement versus home repair a while ago. So you can go back in our catalog and check that out to, to really kind of dive into that. We will be talking about the comparison between the two later on in the show. So just kind of walk you through what we'll be talking about during this episode. Uh, We're going to kind of define what investment is, talk about the kind of investment criteria. So what actually defines an investment? We're going to talk about how how and why your house is not a true investment. What your house does represent, though. So it does represent a lot of things. We'll talk about that. We're going to move on to talking about home repair versus home improvement. And finally, we're going to wrap up with uh, J.L. Collins. Why your house is a terrible investment. Again, what like Trevor said at the beginning of the show, that really was the inspiration for today's episode. So uh, Trevor, let's let's talk about actually what an investment is. So we've uh, uh, first, I want to bring in a good stat. So I I did a little digging, quick, quick Google search to find out. Uh, how many people actually are homeowners and it, I was I don't know n- not really shocked but 67% this is a consensus done uh, featured on stats Canada in 2016 uh, that number seems to that's a Canada homeowners in Canada and I think that number that number seems reasonable it seems but I think that we're speaking to a lot of people today I think Trevor well
1: we are I, I think Canada is the the it's designed to, to the housing market in canada is very inclusive it used to be this exclusive club you way back when my parents were buying houses you needed 25 percent down and interest rates were the, the cost of carrying a mortgage on a home was quite expensive interest rates were, were considerably higher so home ownership was this exclusive club and in to get into it you had to have wealth to get in and now you can get into the housing market with five percent down. Uh, first-time home buyers, you can steal money from your RRSPs, and there's all sorts of incentives to get people into the housing market. And I have a theory with that. From a government standpoint, the more people you can get into the housing market, the more predictable those tax those people become as taxpayers. You end up with this docile, obedient population don't forget i'm a homeowner i had a mortgage so i'm part of this but is a is a government you end up with this docile obedient population who's very predictable your your tax revenue is very predictable these people are going to go to work because they have to pay their mortgages so the is as a, as a government the more people the more people you can get into the club of homeownership the more predictable your your revenue stream of taxes are from an income tax standpoint forget property tax i mean that, that that's a, a obviously very closely tied to housing. So I think the government has a dog in the fight by getting more people into the club. So the homeownership is now a very inclusive uh, group of people. It's not exclusive like it used to be. So when you mentioned 67%, that actually strikes me as I, I I believe that number. That seems reasonable.
0: That's a really great point about the government kind of having having a, a dog in the fight, like you said. And it's it's it is. I've never I've never thought of it in that, those terms, but it it is true. It creates this predictability that uh, that the government probably wants. So I I do like that point.
1: Well, and you also end up with a very productive uh, population where we all have to go to work and earn a, uh, an income of a certain amount of income to pay these mortgages. So you also we end up with people who are uh, very productive in in terms of gross domestic product and things like that. So I, I think as a government the more people you can get into home ownership, the the easier it will be to run your country.
0: So let's define investment. So we pulled a definition from Investopedia. Um so I'll I'll, I'll read it and then and then we'll kind of break it down. So Investopedia says, what is an investment? They say an investment is an asset or item acquired with the long-term goal of generating income or appreciation. In an economic sense, an investment is the purchase of goods that are not consumed today, but are used in the future to create wealth. In finance, an investment is a monetary asset purchased with the idea that the asset will provide income in the future or will later be sold at a higher price for a profit.
1: So if you think of that definition, there's only one element of that definition that I think a house represents. It's, it's an asset that will appreciate in value. I mean, that, that is it. That, that, that's all the house qualifies under.
0: So uh, let, let's kind of break that down. So maybe can if we have the investment criteria, just kind of it's a kind of a really big definition. So if we could kind of boil it down to three key criterias.
1: So I, I so I've taken what I would look for in a true investment. These are three things I would look for in terms of assessing whether something is a good investment or not. And I'm not claiming to be a master investor, but these are the three things. So the it's an asset that will ap- I anticipate will go up in value so it will appreciate there's probably an element of risk that it might not but I would buy the asset hoping or anticipating it going up in value so does a house do that check yes it does so number two is the asset will generate future cash flows will a house do that not unless I sell it as long as it's my house there is no cash flow associated with it And people might say, oh, you can use your home equity line of credit to produce cash out of your your home. All that does is create debt. It does not, that does not produce a cash flow. It produces debt. A home equity line of credit is not a cash flow. So number three, the asset has to be easily bought and sold. So I don't want an asset that I'm stuck with. And if you think of a house, it, it takes... Weeks, sometimes months, to complete the transaction on a house sale or purchase, and the transaction fees on on a on a house are four or five percent real estate commission. You've got legal fees, you've got land transfer taxes. It's very expensive to transact a house by buying or selling it. it it's it's very it, it eats away at the profits. So my criteria when I'm looking for an investment these three things need to be present at a bare minimum and i think in your the home you live in only one of these is
0: but you're saying earlier that if you do buy a property for the sole purposes of renting that these criteria would hold so
1: with a rental property you get two out of three here so you the rental property generates cash flow so you you get that and it will it hopefully will real estate it will appreciate in value but the transaction costs, you know, it's not easily bought or sold. So it, it 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 doesn't meet all three. So I don't currently own any rental properties. I'm not saying they're not good investments for for certain people, but for me, that's a deterrent.
0: So do you have a question for you? I I'm sure everyone who listened to this podcast day has maybe heard or experienced the 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 scenario where they go or someone they know go to sell their home and it, it they can't they, they sell it for less than they bought it I, I know given the market today that might not we are kind of prices are going up but i i mean i i know that that that's common so it's just, just number one the first investment criteria even hold in all scenarios
1: you know what's wrong with the housing asset class real estate asset class so if you think of asset classes um Stock market is an asset class. Bonds are an asset class. And real estate is an asset class. So if you think of the stock market, it has like a, typically a, a I'll say, a 10-year cycle. So the, the stock market indexes, they, they tend to uh, rise, rise up, and, and then they, they hit a peak, and then they start to come down. And the cycles, you know, I'm going to say, if you look back in history, it, it's around 10 years. The stock market recycles. Now we're we're twelve years since our last recession, so it's it's. I'm saying on average, it's probably a ten year cycle. The problem with with, 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 with the that the, the with the real estate asset class is it's like a twenty year cycle. So if you look back in time and where real estate has changed, and it, I'm not saying it's repeated as pattern, but the real estate has changed from uh, market to market these cycles are, are sometimes 25 years long. The problem is people getting into the market, they, they've never seen the cycle because it's 25 years long. Whereas if, if you're buying stocks and, and you're 50, well, you've probably seen a couple of cycles of the stock market. So you you buy with caution because you know that this, this ride can't go forever. There's going to be a, a drop-off at some point. But, but the real estate cycle is so long that people – they they often only see one glimpse of it. Like they they only experience the one twenty five year cycle. They don't know where they're getting in on that cycle, and they don't know what's going to end. So, it, when you say it always goes up, sometimes it goes down. It it really depends when you get in. I, so I remember in the early nineteen nineties, people like real estate actually went down in value. And it, Different things drive it. Back then, what was driving it was. We hit a recession, people were losing their jobs and a lot of people were trying to sell their houses. So the market was being flooded with supply and therefore, if you want your house to sell, you have to drop your price. So it, it, it was just pure economics. But that that 25-year cycle is, is what people end up being blind to what that market can and will do.
0: So in that sense, I mean, in the worst economic conditions, sometimes a home might not even check off any of these investment criteria which it just, which is definitely a notable uh, feature.
1: Well you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who's in their 30s early 30s who I could convince your house could go down in value. <laughs> you know I I I don't think I could convince anybody who's 30 that you could lose money on this.
0: But, be- and, but because but I've Yeah that's it. what I am supposed to say you have seen it.
1: And they're going to say well that's that was that's then history <laughs> that that was then this is different and I they, this is different but I believe real estate in Canada is currently overvalued and I'm not a real estate expert but it just doesn't make economic sense like real estate is outstripping it is going up at a faster rate than wages and that that's a stat I looked up and that that's unsustainable that does not make sense you know that you you can't reason check that and people i when i hear people say this i remember in the late 80s people said you better get in the housing market before you can't afford to Ooh. and that that thinking is that's i've heard people utter those words today and that's what triggered me I think this is the cycle you know i'm seeing it come around again and when, when you start buying things before you can't afford to get into the market that's called speculating and when you start buying on speculation and the, a panic hits and everyone buys on speculation it drives the price up un, like not making sense like it's it's no longer is it a supply and demand issue it becomes speculative so it's not like the houses are in short supply speculators have entered the market who normally wouldn't and this is driving the price up artificially. Again, I'm not a real estate expert. This is just my personal opinion.
0: No, I love that. It's It, it makes sense. It, the math checks out there. So I, I want to move now on before before we do talk about kind of some, some more kind of nuanced reasons why a house is not a true investment. My question for you, Trevor, you are a homeowner, currently a homeowner. Before you enter the market and, and maybe your younger selves understanding of of owning a home being a homeowner did were you kind of I don't want to say brainwashed, but were you under the belief that a home was an investment based on the people's opinions around you
1: absolutely everyone told me it is the best investment you'll ever make is owning a home and I believed it and I got into the housing market on the on the ride down in the early 90s so I didn't get in at the, at the bottom but I, I was in on the ride down so I got in at reasonably low price and it went up from there. So it felt like a good investment. It got, I don't see how I, I it, it, housing, real estate has always worked out for me. I've never been burned by it, but it, it, I I believed it was an investment when I got in, but as time went on, I realized, it, and I started actually investing. So when I started getting money and I was able to do true investing, I realized my my real estate isn't anything like this.
0: So it just it was really just the compare and contrast between one perceived thought of investing versus one actual act of investing.
1: And you know I I was consumed by I remember when I first started investing, I remember the risk it, it seemed absurd. You know like you in in investing in mutual funds and stocks, I thought this this kind of risk seems crazy. Like what why would you do this? But then the in the, the upside on that risk is huge. The downside is also huge. But it, that, that's when I, I contrasted my real estate investing to my stock investing. And I said, well, these are not even the same uh, thought process in terms of, is this a good investment or a bad investment?
0: And that makes sense. I, let's jump now, though, into talking about why your house is not a true investment. So you put together six... Uh, six items on this list that really represent why a house is not a true investment. So uh, let's start with number one. Number one is you are too emotionally invested.
1: And you find me anybody who's not emotionally invested in their house and you know you're emotionally invested in your house. You bought your house with emotion. You know, we talked about you this. The, yeah, you you looked at your house and you said you could see your kids growing up in this house and you could, you know, all you had all these plans to, you're going to, Paint the kids' rooms different colors, and you're gonna do all these home improvements and make it your own. That's emotionally invested. And when you go to sell a house that you raised a family in, that's where I'm at right now. You want to talk being emotionally attached to a, a piece of real estate? I mean, this is where my kids grew up. I I, I often think that's the reason I'm still here. Is I, I I think all the memories are here. Well, with that kind of emotion tied up in in a in an investment, can you really think rationally about you know selling and buying i mean are are you really uh, wired that way that you can turn this off and on i i don't think so
0: and then contrasting that against an actual investment my guess is that i mean you what what are what's your thoughts when it what are the thoughts well, that come to you when you actually are dealing with your actual investments
1: oddly enough i'm not too emotionally tied into my s&p index fund <laughs> You know, it doesn't trigger any memories. It doesn't trigger any. Uh, I I don't sort of uh, tie it to my identity. I don't even know what one of those shares looks like. You know, for I, I'm sure I, there's a share out there that I own electronically. It, it's they're just numbers, and I, I would have. You know, if I got rid of some of my S and P index fund, I would not. <laughs> there would there would be zero emotion you, involved. In you that wouldn't be crying yourself to sleep no and you know people that do home renovations home improvements on a house and then somebody comes in and they, 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 i hear this all the time the real estate people you know will bring somebody through your house that you're trying to sell and just say you did all the renovations yourself you know you're a real handy guy and the um you hear back from the real estate agent you know and they they want to um lowball your price cuz they you know they they don't like your laminate floors. They're going to have to tear them out and put in hardwood. Oof. But you, you know, you put in your laminate floors yourself, and you did all the work, and, and and you're 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 insulted by that, right? Actually, when somebody, if somebody, okay, here's a good one. <laughs> if if somebody made an offer on my house and it was absurdly low, I, I wouldn't just say no. That that uh, I'll, I'll pass on that offer. I would be a I would be insulted. You know, if somebody thinks my house is is. Is only worth that, you know? What do they think? Uh, it's uh, it's a dump. Like, you would be personally offended if somebody put in an obscenely low offer on your house. You would you would take it personally, and and if somebody put an insanely low offer on my S and P index fund, <laughs> <laughs> I would just say, "No, I don't want to sell at that price." But thanks, nice try or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't be a like, there's no emotion there. I, I don't care. So I don't think your house is a, a true investment because your emotions don't let you you make investment-like decisions.
0: And I, to your point there, I've again, I've, I've never been a homeowner before, but it always baffles my mind when you hear stories of people spending oodles of money on specific things that they like to their taste when, to your point, you really don't know. And it's just your emotions getting tied up in the things that you're putting in. So, no, I love that. Second point, so why your house is not a true investment? There, we mentioned this earlier, but there's no cash flow mechanism.
1: So a lot of people, they like to add up their their net worth and they include their house in their net worth. And I do that too. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with doing that. that. That's an asset you own. But that is, that is nothing until you sell it. It is, is it is a house. It is, is not, you, you can't spend any of it. And don't talk to me about home equity under credits and don't talk to me about reverse mortgages because those things just generate debt. So that that's all they are. They, they, they convert assets into debt. So, and I don't even know how a reverse mortgage works, but I, I get that you you don't have to ever pay it back, but you actually, when you sell your house or your estate sells your house, I, I don't even know how that works, but obviously you're 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 tapping into I, that. That is a potential form of cash flow, but I got to think the people that run those reverse mortgages are winning somehow. So a lot of people are sitting around with a a million dollar net worth, half a million of which is tied up in their real estate investment, which is your house, which is not an investment. And if you're, if you're sitting in downtown Toronto, it's even bigger, but the only way you can ever tap into that is by moving to the middle of nowhere. So I'm in Ontario, Canada. Uh, There's a place called Elliot Lake and it's up by the tree line. I mean, it is way up North and it's probably a great place to be in the summer and it's probably a terrible place to be in the winter, but you could buy real estate up there for a really low price. And there's a whole community of people, and i got to think that's why they're there. They wanted to tap into their real estate investment and turn it into cash flow. So that's the, so the, all of a sudden, their house, their house became an investment out of nowhere. If that's, that's the day it became an investment. If you're willing to do something like that to convert real estate into cash flow, If you're willing to do that and a lot of people aren't they 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 stay in their house way too long but if you're willing to move away from i guess potentially your whole family to convert your real estate into cash flow it becomes a part of it became an investment at that moment in time
0: and again that's that's really kind of like you said a unique case so it not one that ever applies to anyone but when we so when we do sell our house, though, I mean that it's it's not being cash flow. So by by that definition, I just to clarify that would not be even though you receive when you sell your house, you you do receive that money. It still doesn't qualify the, for the actual investment criteria.
1: Well, you again, you have to live somewhere. So if you're selling your house, you're buying another one, and if you're if you're living in the same town, if you're buying and selling your houses, you may, you know. Just say you downsized and you you sold a, a three thousand square foot house and you bought a fifteen hundred square foot house. Uh, it, you're going to get some cash flow to that, but the it, you so you've converted a tiny piece of your real estate investment into a true investment when you downsized. But I again I don't it, unless you you sold your your million dollar house and bought a five hundred thousand dollar house, then you got you you've all of a sudden you converted it into five hundred thousand dollars of investment that's okay if you can do that if, if that's a kind of if you can downsize in your same town and get that kind of price difference which where where i live the the price doesn't fluctuate that much in fact the baby boomers have created this thing so baby boomers if anyone they're this the, the all the kids that were born right around world war ii and they're this huge mass of population that's been sort of disrupting economies ever since they were born <laughs> And, and and whatever they're demanding is what is in houses is what goes up in price. So right now, baby boomers are really hammering away at the demand of condos and condos are, uh, I don't care where you look, the price of condos are absurd. But when I was a kid or not a kid, when I was coming of age and I was looking at real estate before I could even afford it and the baby boomers were raising families, you could look at real estate and just almost do, in any town, do math on square footage and price. And you could know then if you were getting value for your real estate dollars, just purely square footage. Because baby boomers were trying to raise families, they wanted large homes. So large homes were in demand, therefore the price of them went up. Well, now baby boomers want condos. So if, if you now just say you're a, a a millennial and you're you're in your 30s and you're, I don't know if that's millennials, Gen Ys or Gen Xs, I, I get all messed up in those. But just say you're 30, you're trying to buy a house. Well, a a four-bedroom, 3,000-square-foot house, it might be cheaper than a two-bedroom condo in, in some towns, right? Because baby boomers don't want those. And so there, there, there's more of them on the market. So you've increased the supply, this gen, pure economics, and less people want them, therefore, to sell them, your price has to go down. So this is where I'm saying... If you sell your your three thousand square foot house and downsize, I don't think you're going to get as much money as you you might have way back in the baby boomer days.
0: yeah, no, I can't argue with that uh, Let's move on to point number three, so the third of six reasons why your house is not a true investment is that there's high carrying cost to having a home
1: so for this to be a for your house to be a real good investment, think of the carrying costs that come with it so and again, I know you can't live in your S&P 500 index fund. I get you can't live in there. The bathroom's really small. The kitchen's terrible. I know all that. But just pure investment standpoint. So you're, you think of the carrying costs associated with a house. you got interest. You're going to borrow money to buy it. You've got insurance. You've got taxes, like property taxes. And you've got maintenance costs. Well, most investments, okay, you could borrow money for some investments, but you can't leverage most investments like you can leverage a house, right? You you can borrow ninety five percent of that investment to buy a house. There's no other investment you can do that with that I'm aware of. So you're never going to have the kind of interest associated with uh, other true investments. Uh, you can you could probably buy kinds of insurance, but you're not going to be completely insured from a complete disaster like the place burning down. So if you if you leverage your investment, you actually have to buy insurance for it that's required. So you got the cost of insuring that investment, and then the you're going to pay tax on the gains of uh, other investments, but the property taxes is an ongoing drain. And then the maintenance costs associated, like it, it, none of it meets, in my mind, it, uh, if I were looking at an S&P 500 index fund and it had any of these costs that were significant that I just mentioned, I'm out. <laughs>
0: no it's true when you actually look at it like compare and contrast a a home that quote-unquote investment to an actual actual investment it's it's it doesn't even look the same when you side by side it does not look the same number four is highly leverage
1: so I mentioned this in the the last point but you know what brought down the uh, the stock market in 1929 is was every boom was leveraged on their investments. They, they allowed you to, to buy on margin. And, and, and that's great when the things are going up. But when things are coming down and they do a margin call and you've got to cover those losses, every, your choices are to cover the losses or sell your stock. So nobody was able to cover those losses on that margin buy. So everyone was selling their stock. Again, you increase the supply. Pure economics: the price has to go down in order to sell it, and the, the bottom just fell out of the market. So I don't. So in real estate, you you can some people can borrow up to ninety five percent. You can be ninety five percent leveraged on this investment if it were truly an investment. I don't want to buy any real investment that's that highly leveraged because there's there's got to be a downside to me now if your 95% leveraged real estate investment goes down, rarely does the bank force you to sell it because the the difference with real, with real estate is there's no published market price for your house until you actually try to sell it. Like you can speculate about in a down market, your house went down in value. It's not till you go to renew your mortgage that the bank says, ah, let's just check and see what that thing's worth <laughs> before I actually you know give you the money for it. And quite often houses will go power of sale because they were too leveraged and the market went down and they they couldn't come up with the, 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 the difference to, to renew that mortgage. So I don't want any investment that where I can borrow 95%. So this is a house is not a true investment to me in that I would not, I would not want to be 95% leveraged on any investment.
0: Yeah, no, that's so true. Number five of six reasons why our house is not a true investment is due to the transaction cost. This one, it, it rings so true. So if
1: you have a, uh, a stock market investment, you know, there's all these um, online brokers you can go with and they charge around $10 a transaction. And I think they take a bit of a commission it, per transaction. It's not, um, doesn't seem too outrageous. Given the the money you can make, but in real estate, you got you got your real estate commission, four or five percent. You've got your legal fees. You've got your land transfer tax. And I haven't bought and sold a house in a while, but who knows what else there is going on. You got your movers. It, it, to buy and sell a house, it, it can be a very expensive transaction. I mean, you you re, if you bought and sold houses with the frequency which. Which I would buy and sell other investments, I, I would be underwater. Like, I, I'd, I'd eat up all those profits in transaction costs if, if I were to buy and sell real estate uh, with the frequency I buy and sell other investments.
0: How, how heavily has this specific point kept you in maybe the home you're in? Is, it, is this one that um, has, it has kind of really, really kind of impacted you, I guess?
1: So uh, this goes back to me being emotionally invested in this investment. I'm doing air quotes all day long here. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to raise my children in one home. I wanted them to grow up in a single home and uh, until they were fully launched, I was not going to sell this house. And my f- my youngest child uh, I'm still I'm sort of on the fence whether she's fully launched. She tells me she is, but you know, I just like to hang in there a little bit longer to make sure she is. That is, so it's not the transaction costs that are keeping me here. It is the emotional thing that's keeping me in this real estate investment. Air quotes again. I, I'm, i I'm now the, I've been here long enough that the transaction costs are, you know, I I think I've been in this house for 20, almost 22 years. I have I actually have incurred a transaction cost on this, so called investment in twenty two years that the investment transaction costs that I'm gonna incur when I do sell it, it you know if I average it over the twenty two years it it will be uh relatively small
0: definitely and and to go back to what you're saying earlier if 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 it if you were moving more frequently then you are gonna feel this transaction cost and transaction friction a lot more
1: i mean here's another transaction cost curtains <laughs> yeah. Every house you move into needs curtains oh,
0: blinds. They right? have to fit the windows. yeah. Um, so last but not least, on this list of why your house is not a true investment is the opportunity costs
1: and this shows up in terms of diversification. So if you're a true investor, you don't want to be all in on one investment. so I mentioned, you know in a, in Ontario where I live, if you're a half million dollars invested in real estate, that's not a crazy n- number. i mean if, if you're if you have a, a if your house is paid off and, and it, it's worth about a half million dollars today, that's not outrageous. I mean, that's just a house. It's not a it's not a palatial estate. It's just a house. And if you have a million dollars net worth, well, I don't like your diversification in in terms of being in different asset classes and and protecting yourself from one type of market failing and another one prospering you're 50% in in real estate you know d- is that wise from an investing standpoint Warren Buffett wouldn't think so
0: <laughs> and, and and let's not let's let's talk about how the fact that your home is actually this this thing that it can be affected by unfortunately natural disasters it can be affected by by a lot of a lot of things that we sometimes don't have control over so there's a lot of your house is exposed like that investment is is fully exposed to all the elements
1: well, I live in a beach town. So the, the town I live in is really known for its beach. We get people coming from all over for the weekend, to use our beach and I can't even get parked down there on weekends. It's so busy. And I, I'm one toxic waste spill in, in the, in Lake Ontario from my property value, you know, maybe dropping in half. Oh yeah, right? that
0: too. Yeah. No. And, and all those factors. So it's, 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 and then, then you look at your actual investment. I mean, it's who knows where where that is. I, I don't even know if you can if it's a thing. But it's 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 it really it's day and night when you when you do look at the opportunity costs.
1: Well, and if somebody down the street oh turns it into a crack house, just just say they they're doing really well on the street selling their 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 drugs, and they can afford a, a house, and they they buy a house in my neighborhood, and they start selling crack out of it. Well. That's going to drive down the real estate prices in my neighborhood until the law enforcement gets that sorted out. And, and you're a long time breaking the, the stigma of, oh, that's the crack neighborhood, right? Like you get that label overnight, but you're, you could be a decade getting rid of that label.
0: Yeah, like when there's so many external threats that you have no control over, it's it really, really shines a light on kind of just how, how volatile it is to, to make that one of your primary investments. Well, this
1: happened to somebody I know, so they had a, a they, they still do, they have a really nice house, but a guy moved in next door, nice enough guy, I actually met him, and he was into stock car racing, and that was his hobby, and every time he'd come back from a stock car race, there'd be this smashed up car, right, he'd, maybe he had a bad race, <laughs> I don't know, I don't go to a lot of stock car races, but, uh, and he'd leave it in his driveway, you know, on a trailer, right, and I guess he's going to work on it, right and you know he 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 had two cars and then he'd go to another race the next weekend and had another bad race <laughs> bad race car driver i guess next thing he's got two smashed up cars sitting in his driveway Oof. and the guy he gets tired of this and calls the town and the town says you know well we'll send a by law enforcement officer i don't even know what they did they they talked to the guy and he said he'd clean it up but he never did and the guy's It looked like a junkyard out there at times, right? The, all these car pieces and tires randomly rolling, you know, sitting on the front lawn. It looked terrible. I got to think that affected my friend's real estate. Oh yeah. Yeah. He bought his house. His neighbor had a pristine home. His neighbor sells his house. Stock car driver moves in. I got to think the next, when you put your house up for sale, people are going to look at your place and say, do I really want to live next door to that? You're going to have to drop your price to entice someone to put up with that kind of neighbor.
0: Yeah, like all those factors really have to be considered. So that brings us. That was the end of the list of why your house is not a true investment. Let's talk about. So it's it's not a true investment. We 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 get that. I, I'm sold on that. I I hope everyone listening to this is sold on that. But we all know that a house does represent a lot of other things. So there's four things that our house actually does represent. So first, it represents a place to live.
1: So I just want to start. I know all the listeners have typed up all their emails <laughs> that they're going to send me. All, all the haters have their emails written. They're gonna tell me I'm I lost my mind. You know, a house is the best thing I've ever did, and you're, you know, I'm crazy. I own a house. I've owned a house for over thirty years. I, I, it's the single build as well building wealth tool I've had in my life. If I had to do it over again, I'd own a house again. I just think if people th- think their house is an investment, they will they will convince themselves when they do stuff to their house that they're doing it to an investment and they will, they will make bad decisions. The, so many people buy like putting in home improvements in and say it's an investment. They're doing it because it's their house and there's no return on those dollars. So the, the whole point of me convincing you, your house is not an investment is so you don't treat it like an investment when it's not really an investment. So so your first Courtney's first point a, a house what it does represent is a place to live you can't live in in your any other investment you you have to live somewhere it might as well be a house so if a house is the greatest wealth building tool ever owned then that's a great place to live in, in the house you own so your house represents first and foremost a your safety and security I mean if you think of the Maslow hierarchy of Needs a house is pretty important on that list so I'm all about the house and it does represent a uh, a stable living environment
0: which brings us to point number two that a house represents uh, that stable living environment for raising a family
1: yeah so specifically for raising a family I, I I'm not saying you can't you can't you can raise a family in rental properties but I have seen so many people and not so many I've seen some cases where people are being they they don't get evicted in terms of they were bad tenants. They're renting a house. And at some point, the landlord decides they the landlord wants to live in that house. So they move in. And of course, as tenants, you have to move out. And if you have a family, you have to move out. You've got to find another place to live. You might have put your kids in a different school. It's very disruptive and unsettling to a young family. So owning a home, if I got to think of the... Remember, so I said earlier, I wanted to... One of my goals in life, and I did achieve it, was my, my kids to only know one home. And the house I live in right now, that's all they know. Now, we moved in here when my, my twins were, I think, two and a half, and my, my youngest one wasn't even six months old. This is all they know. So they, they grew up in one house. They, they went to one school, uh, primary school. They went to one high school. The neighborhood was the same. I think it contributed to their uh, a very stable upbringing. So your house is important. It, it, if it represents nothing else, it represents that.
0: No, I, I agree with that. Number three is that, and again, this is one point we've been saying all episode long, but I'm going to sort to say it again. Uh, a, a house represents a great wealth building tool through for savings.
1: Yeah, so this is the key. I've said a house is the greatest wealth building tool I've ever had. And it, it's, it builds wealth in two ways. And this is the magic of owning a home is the first way is I mentioned you buy house it's highly leveraged, meaning you borrow nine you can borrow up to ninety-five percent of the value of the home and what what you end up doing is you're forced to repay that money back to the bank. And I call that forced savings. And because as you pay that back, the the house Hope it, it, at worst case scenario your house will, will maintain its value, but chances are it's going to appreciate. So that's the second wealth building aspect of a house: is it is it actually increases in value? Typically, over the the twenty five year house or uh, real estate cycle, I I think if you own a house long enough, it will go up in value. In, in short windows of time, you could lose money for sure on any asset you could, but so that's two ways. It's it's a great wealthman tool in terms of you. If, if you were left to your own devices to just save money, I think life's going to get in the way. You're going to, you know, go on a trip somewhere. You're just going to spend your, if you're a renter and you don't have all those additional expenses of home ownership, that extra money that'll just get spent for most people. It it would take a great deal of discipline and some people have it, but if, if, You're forced to repay the money back to the bank, otherwise they will take your house. So that forced savings for all the people in our society who don't have the discipline to save money, you buying a house actually forced you to to be disciplined to repay that money because you signed a, a mortgage. It's a contract basically to repay. And the appreciation in real estate, those two things builds a tremendous amount of wealth.
0: And we've talked about it here on the show before, kind of your timeline in terms of paying off your mortgage and then uh, funding your kids' uh, university and college education. So in a way, that almost benefited you as well, that that forced savings, kind of just finding the money in a different direction, if you want to speak to that a little.
1: Yeah, so I paid off my my mortgage in, in 15 years, and then I used that same mortgage payment money to fund cash flow my kids post-secondary education to college and university i i just kept on with that same discipline even though i wasn't being forced to use that money for that actually i was i (laughs) I sent my kids to school so it kind of was forced but you know if i think about the 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 wealth building aspect of of a house i no longer have the wealth building aspect of forced savings because i don't have a mortgage right So the only wealth-building aspect I currently have is appreciation. And I don't think real estate appreciates appreciates as much as, say, um, an S&P 500 index fund. Right now, I do believe where I live, if you lived in downtown Toronto or Vancouver, you might have a different story. But where I live, I believe the equity market, meaning the stock market, is outperforming the housing market in terms of returns. So every day I stay in my house as an investment, no longer having the the wealth building aspect of for savings, so I just have appreciation working for me at the moment, I think my money would be better off in the equity market. There's some more risk associated with that, but there's also more opportunity. So I, my opportunity cost is the difference between the money, the difference between how much my house is appreciating and how much the uh, equity market is growing. And I, I think I'm losing at the moment.
0: So one thing from that, given how y- earlier in the episode, you commented on the kind of artificial inflation of prices when it comes to the housing market, does that at all concern you then when you are looking at kind of the, uh, how fast your price, the the, the price of your home accumulates?
1: Okay. So I, I suffer from anxiety, meaning I worry about events in the future. So here's a little picture of, of how I feel about the housing market and what it might do. So I got two schools of thought. So I really love the town I live in, and I'm I'm thinking of selling my house and traveling for one year. So one of the fears I have is I will sell my house and travel for a year, and when I come back to live in the same town, the real estate market will have got away from me, and I won't be able to afford to buy a house with that same money in the same town it will require more money so th- that's a fear you know i'm anxious about some event that could occur in the future here's the second thing is i'm worried if i don't sell my house soon this 25 year cycle this real estate cycle is going to come to an end and the bottom's going to fall out of the housing market in this town i live in and i will obviously I, i'm not going to sell my house in a down market and therefore i'll be I'll i call it stuck here, but I'll, I'll I'll be stuck with this larger house than than I really need. So how, how do you like that dilemma?
0: Wow, you you've got you've got your hands full with uh, the, the 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 only two scenarios that you can uh, move forward with. That but, and you know what? I think that's. I mean, maybe we would take a poll of all the other uh, people listening to this. Maybe that's a thing that we're all f- facing. Maybe that's a real fear.
1: No, I'm alone on this <laughs> one. <laughs>
0: It, but it, it's real. It's, it's, and I, it's, it's very real and it's, it's true. My other, so my other thing for you, I had uh, two things for what you said uh, a few moments earlier. My second thing is you, so you've owned your home for tw- tw- 20 plus years and they say a habit is formed in 21 days or something like that. So do you still have, you must have that, that kind of that forced savings mentality built into like built just built into your wiring now because it it it's been it's been a thing for so long. So how has that carried with you now? Your your kids are done school. What does that landscape look like for you?
1: Oh, I'm 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 absolutely unique me and my wife. People who, here's how it typically goes. And uh, any listener who's listening to this, I I don't know if this is you or not, but typically you you raise a family, you pay off your mortgage, and right around the time that your kids are done, say, college or university, and you're done financing that, your mortgage is paid off, you all of a sudden have more disposable income than you've ever had in your entire life. And what most people will do is they'll either buy the house of their dreams that they no longer need, you know, this large, enormous home that, that they don't need because they, they're empty nesters, or they will, they will, you know, you can't have nice things when you have kids. Well, now they'll have nice things. And they'll, they'll upgrade their house and do home improvements like you've never seen because it's an investment and they'll just pump money into it. I chose to actually invest my money in, in, so when I was done with all those expenses, I didn't inflate my lifestyle because that's what that is. That's lifestyle inflation. I, I invested that money so I, I continue to not spend it. So the, the habit was formed for Sure. I don't need all that extra money to get by and I've been saving it and investing it ever since.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Last but not least on this list of what your house does represent is it represents an opportunity to leverage a purchase that will usually increase in value. And we did mention that a few moments earlier as well.
1: Yeah. So your house represents, like, there's no other thing, in, in our society that will let you borrow 95% to get in the market. That's, that's insane. It so is. you should do like, okay, no, I don't think you should borrow 95% ever, but you should. The So everyone believes in the housing market. That's why they're willing to loan you so much money to, to get into it. I think this is an opportunity you should take advantage of. You should want into uh, such a leveraged opportunity. In fact, a lot of people get into rental properties as an investment, primarily because it's one—it's the only one you can leverage. You can—I'm not saying it's a good idea to get into a highly leveraged rental property. I mean, the minute the you get a bad tenant, and they're not paying your rent. All of a sudden, you're paying two mortgages, right? So it's—you could get in trouble in a hurry. But it's one of the few investments you can get into and with leverage. And leverage means you—you you can borrow a lot of money to get in. Because it's real estate, I guess the bank feels, you know, if if you don't pay your uh, mortgage or your tenant doesn't, we'll just power sale the property. So they feel pretty confident that they're not going to lose money. So it's, that's what your house represents, I, I think, primarily is, is something you can leverage.
0: Because, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but that kind of power to take something away it's not there in in the sense uh, is there is in more of an equity investment because it's just there's nothing as as physical as 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 a home or a property.
1: Well, it's it's not it's not that it's it's you you can't really leverage equity investments to to start with. It's not something people let you do unless you're you know Warren like Warren Buffett probably doesn't even do it. But you real estate you can. Because it's not really an investment, you, the bank knows you're emotionally involved. You're emotionally attached, so that's how they let you borrow the money. I mean, that it's not written down anywhere, but that's the reason is because the emotional attachment.
0: No, uh, that that makes sense. So uh, we we have two sections left. We're gonna we're gonna quickly go through just uh, kind of a we've talked about we we have a whole episode dedicated to home repair versus home improvement. We've talked about it through, kind of sprinkled throughout the show. We're just gonna break that down really quickly, followed by J.L. Collins, why your house is a terrible investment. And that again was the inspiration for the show. So Trevor, home repair versus home improvement, you are passionate about this subject. What does it mean to you?
1: So home repair is very simple. If it's broken, fix it. So something in your house doesn't work, Make it work that's money that if you don't if you don 't fix the things that are broken, then your house will go down in value in fact houses are if you think of real estate it's a combination of um, land and building that's real estate there's there's land and there's a building on it, which is your house. The thing that actually goes up in value in real estate is the land the land goes up in value and if you want to make land go up in value more, you 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 bring services to it. So just say you bought a plot of land, it's worth whatever, say a hundred thousand dollars. If you want to make that land worth more, you put a well in a septic tank in it. And all of a sudden you've increased the value of that property. You pave you you put in a driveway in so you can get past the ditch. You've increased the value. You you Say a school opens up down the road you still haven't built a house, but that land has even gone up in value even more so now you put a house on it well the hand, the, the land's even more useful now you can live on it but that house it, it once it's built it, it's it's pure expense because the uh, environment like the elements are constantly deteriorating that structure so you have to maintain it maintenance is required to maintain the value. Of, of that real estate i'm doing air quotes again investment so you you have to maintain it but home improvements is where people lose their minds i mean there is a tv network dedicated to this and home improvements there's a a limit to what is reasonable in home improvements so i'm going to give you a little picture of i i know somebody that's d- done this kind of home improvements so i've witnessed i've witnessed this and it it trust me it looks beautiful i'm not questioning that So a $40,000 kitchen, I mean, that's where I got the number from. I know somebody that put in a $40,000 kitchen. I mean, by the time you do all the, change some plumbing and put in new appliances and counters and cabinets and furniture, $40,000. Two $20,000 bathrooms. I mean, you don't have to spend too much money in bathrooms to get to 20 grand. So what are we up to? We're we're up to $80,000. They tipped the scale. They did hardwood floors, front door to back door, upstairs too. I I didn't ask how much. Do you think twenty thousand dollars is too much? I don't know. Let's just say it was twenty grand. That's a hundred grand. Well, I don't think. And this guy lives in a cookie cutter subdivision. I don't think you can sell that house for a hundred thousand dollars more than any other house in that neighborhood. I, I just it doesn't. I I don't. Th- Maybe you find the right buyer. They could exist. They could see value in the same thing you see value in but home improvements at some point that was no longer an investment right it it was just lifestyle and and they're not selling that place anytime soon and and i'm wondering if that may be why and it just say they live there for another 20 years and they they enjoy the fruits of that labor and they enjoy that kitchen enjoy the bathroom then that's good i mean they're very happy with it it looks beautiful but that was a lifestyle expense, right? That, that was not an investment. There's no investment there. That is lifestyle expense. They enjoyed that. And if that's where you're gonna spend your money and you enjoy it, then, I mean, that's why you earn the money, to enjoy it. So by all means. But they, were, they used the word investment every single time when they said, okay, we're doing another home renovation. That's what they called it. I called it a home improvement. They, they called it an investment every single time. Now you put a new furnace in your house, that's an investment in 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 the in the asset because your house is pretty useless without it but a $40,000 kitchen i mean it's beautiful but at the end of the day you can see how they've made decisions about that piece of real estate they kept calling it an investment they never once stood back and said what's my return on this invest this additional investment what's my return on this $40,000 kitchen ROI. What's the return? It, if 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 it's if they kept calling. If if it's truly an investment, you should know what your return on on that additional dollars are. When I buy more S and P five hundred index funds, I I get to see the return. Like I mean, it, it's it shows up in my portfolio on on, on that additional uh, equity I
0: bought. And and the thing is, as, I, as I'm kind of hearing you describe that 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 home as as the example, was that. If these homeowners are emotionally invested in the color of the the, the new flooring they put in the, the stain that they chose like they are emotionally invested in all of the their decisions to make it look aesthetically pleasing for themselves and and the reason I, well one it, it may be a cookie cutter cutter subdivision where the outside looks the same maybe maybe that's a factor but inside those that's just a floor to the next person that's just a an appliance That's just a paint color to to the people coming afterwards. They're not; they weren't there for the decision-making process. Uh, so, of course, the, you can't expect that the other person is going to be the future potential home buyer is going to be as impressed, or not even impressed, but just as willing to fork out the money that that it cost for that uh, quote unquote improvement.
1: Well, and the odd thing is, it, it's a fairly large home, and it, it's really designed for families. And everyone who's got kids knows you. you can't have nice things <laughs> when you have kids. it's just a, just a rule. And those hardwood floors, I mean you you if I would have brought my young family into that house with those beautiful hardwood floors and that those i mean they they would have scuffed those up overnight, and that's just what kids do. I'm not knocking kids i that's just they're, they don't care. they're floors to kids, right? so that that house we, would not stand up well to a, a large family.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I, before we, just before we jump on to Why Your House is a Terrible Investment by J.L. Collins, I do have a question for you, Trevor. So y- you have obviously come to the dark side, the good side, one of the sides where you see that your home is not an investment. You truly believe that. W- was there one key piece of so, something that really turned the needle for you, turned the dial, where you allowed you to see your home in a different light? It really, it, it, when I
1: started doing investing, so when I actually built up enough wealth where I could actually buy real investments, that's when I started looking at my house and realizing it's, it's less and less like an investment. So not until I became a real investor did I understand what my house really was.
0: And you talked about that earlier. So it's, it's good to hear that that was, I mean, if, if, if anyone's maybe listening to this today, is, isn't convinced, maybe that's like, again, the, the not that we're an investing podcast, but maybe for them, that might be the game changer as well. So let's jump into this. Actually, it's, it's funny. It's a very comical um, article. So there's a couple. So basically, Trevor, do you want to kind of describe what it is? And then we'll jump into some of the examples here.
1: So basically, all of these points are saying, you know, if you believe your house is a good investment, then you you should believe these points.
0: So if you believe your house is a good investment, it should be not just an initial, but if we do it right, a relentless ongoing drain on the cash reserves of the owner.
1: So we talked about the carrying costs of a house, the interest, the maintenance. I mean, who, who would, if I bought a, S&P 500 index fund and they said, oh, don't forget about the maintenance fees. You got to pay them every month. <laughs> I would say, well, I'm selling this thing. I'm out, right?
0: Well, it's it's almost, I mean, nothing against condos or the condo fees associated with it, but that may be for some people the, the reluctance to buy a condo just because of the associated condo fees. The next one, if you believe your house is a good investment, it should be illiquid. We'll make it something that takes weeks, no, wait, even better, months of time and effort to sell or buy.
1: So imagine you call your broker and you say, I would like to sell uh, 1,000 shares of my Apple stock. And they say, okay, well, we'll put them on market. We'll get somebody to show them. <laughs> and uh, you know, we, we've got a couple of offers weeks later, right? And But um, they're going to send you a, an offer. You've got to review it. If you like their price, they're going to negotiate with you. Like if I, w- I would say, okay, I'm never buying Apple stock again. <laughs> you know, this is crazy. You know, I, I was hoping to sell it today. So it, it, it's, it's real estate is very illiquid in terms of how quickly you can turn it around.
0: If you believe your house is a good investment, it should be expensive to buy and sell. We'll add very high transaction costs. Let's say 5% commission on the deal coming and going.
1: And so with, with stockbrokers, I mean, it's, it's a race to the bottom in terms of uh, transaction fees. There, there, there always seem to be uh, a, a, a better uh, commission plan out there. So real estate has been set at 4 or 5% since I got into the housing market. So these transaction costs aren't going away anytime soon.
0: If you believe your house is a good investment, it should be leveraged. Oh, oh, this is one is great. This is how we'll get people to swallow those low returns. If the price goes up a little bit, leverage will magnify this and people will convince themselves it's actually a good investment. Nah, don't worry about this. Most people will even consider that leverage is also very high risk and could just as easily wipe them out.
1: So again, it's uh, real estate a 25 year cycle. I have seen real estate like people who buy at the top of the bubble and then it bursts and people trying to sell at the bottom and it costing them money to get out of a house. Until you've actually seen real estate go down in value, it's very disturbing. And if you're 30 years old and getting the house market, you've never seen it. Trust me, it's happened and it's happened more than once.
0: If you believe your house is a good investment, it should be mortgaged another beauty of leverage we can charge interest on the loans yep and with with just a little more effort we should easily be able to pursue pursue persuade people who buy this thing to borrow money against it more than once
1: and this would be the home equity line of credit right so you 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 go through the agony of paying all that interest you know you know how a mortgage works you pay all the interest up front and then more principal at the end then when you're all done, the bank designs it so you can actually use your debit card to use money, all that equity, and borrow it all over again. So you get to pay the interest twice.
0: <laughs> I, I love this next one. So... If you believe your house is a good investment, it should be immobile. If we can fix it to one geographical spot, we can be sure at any given time only a tiny group of potential buyers for it will exist sometimes and in some places, none at all.
1: So if you can imagine you're trying to sell your your Apple stock and you call your broker and he asks you, you know, you like to sell a thousand shares. He said, where do you live? And then you'd say, a cobra, you know, what street do you live on? He goes, okay, I'll see if I can find a buyer. You know, someone who's interested in buying Apple stock in, in your local town. So it's, it's uh, uh, it, that would be a very bad investment if you could only sell it to people who are near you.
0: If you believe your house is a good investment, it should be subject to the fortunes of one country, one state, one city, one town, no, one neighborhood. Imagine if our investment could somehow tie its owner to the fate of one narrow location. The risk could be enormous. A plant closes, a street gang moves in, a government goes crazy with taxes, an environmental disaster happens nearby. We could have an investment that not only crushes its owner's net worth, but does so even as they are losing their job and income.
1: So I mentioned, you know, I live in a beach town. If there's some environmental disaster in my my local lake, my, my real estate would just, my value of my home would just crumble.
0: This one, this next one is really good too. If you believe a house is a good investment, it should be expensive. Ideally we'll make it so expensive that it will represent a disproportionate percentage of a person's net worth. Nothing like squeezing out diversification to increase risk. (laughs)
1: that one is is in in you get into some of the the larger cities like toronto montreal vancouver they're diverse they are so undiversified in terms if they really believe their house is is an investment it's, it's 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 a crazy amount is tied up in real estate
0: ooh this one's good if you believe a house is a good investment, it should be something you can never really own. Since we are going to give the government the power to tax this investment every year, owning it, quote unquote, would be just like sharecropping. We'll let them work it, maintain it, pay all the costs associated with it. And as long as they pay their annual rent, oops, I mean taxes, we'll let them stay in it unless we decide we want it.
1: And wanting it means they can appropriate it. it. It's You don't really... You really are just a a renter in the long term. In the short term, you, it looks like you own it.
0: And yeah, this one, that one is a really it's it's it, it is you really when you think about it, it does make sense. But it's it's not one that two really. I believe kind of you think about. So there are there are a ton more we will put this uh, the link to this article in our show notes so you can go back and and laugh at all the other ones that we didn't uh, didn't mention but they are the JL Collins does a really great job at, at kind of making the concept sound a little bit um, a little bit out there So that brings us the end of today's show on your house is not an investment. We hope you, we've uh, convinced you of this, but we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can always reach out to us via email at Live Life simple 365 at gmail.com. Through our website, Live Life simple.ca we have a contact submission form there. We always love receiving our emails. Um, and you can also, also, as well, reach out to us uh, via direct message on our Facebook and Instagram at Simple Money Solutions. All links to all of that will be in our show notes. Thank you so much for being here with us. For another episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast. We can't wait to have you back here with us for a new show next week. Until then, keep it simple.